Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 21. We'll begin in the 28th verse of Matthew chapter 21. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, we're glad you're with us. Uh, My name's Mark. I get the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And uh, you encourage us by being here today, and we're grateful. We have been in a lengthy series of looking at the story of Jesus combined through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we're in the final week. We continue in the final week. It's going to take us several months to do this well, to walk through the most important week that happened in the history of mankind. And uh, we have been through Saturday night where Jesus was anointed by Mary uh, at a, a former leper's home. His name was Simon, and Jesus had cured him and healed him of his disease, and he held a banquet for Jesus. And Mary came in, and she anointed him for his burial because she had been paying attention to what he said was about to happen. Jesus comes into the holy city on Sunday, the triumphal entry, the crowd screaming Hosanna and welcoming him. He comes in on a donkey. It's symbolic of peace rather than warfare. They wanted a warrior. He came as a sacrifice, and he leaves the city that night, comes back in on Monday, and he's hungry on the way in, and he sees a fig tree, and it has leaves. A fig tree has fruit before it has leaves, and Jesus goes to find fruit, and there's none. Using it as a a symbol, he curses the tree. He goes into the city again on Monday, and he cleanses the temple from all of the things that were taking place that were distracting people from understanding God. And they head back out of the city, back to the city of Bethany. As they're going out, the tree is dead, and Peter says, that tree you curse has died. And Jesus used that as a teaching about the fact that God has expectation that if we open our lives to him, he will produce fruit in us. If all we're doing is wanting to look like we could produce fruit on our own, There will be a punishment for that, and Jesus was teaching this moment. Then they come up to him and they say, so by what authority did you have a right to cleanse the temple? Who gave you the right to go in there and do what you did? And Jesus said, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. When the prophet John, John the Baptist, we would know him as, when the prophet John came and did what he did, was he just a man or was he a prophet sent from God? And our scriptures tell us that they would not answer Jesus. And then Jesus, <laughs> I like him for this, he goes, then I'm not answering you. And this is where we are in the text. We're at the moments following that when they tried to put Jesus to the test and he said, you know who John was and you would not respond to what he was saying. That's the authority that John had that Jesus is showing. Now, I don't know if you have the same experience, but when I was a kid, my parents had these ridiculous expectations of us. And here's what they were. They actually expected if they asked me to do something that I should have to do it. Isn't that outrageous? I I felt like it it suppressed my will to be free. (laughs) See, back in the day, my dad would leave me a text. But when I was a kid, a text was a note on the refrigerator. That was how we texted back in those days. And we would wake up on certain mornings, especially in the summer, and there would be a list on on the refrigerator, and it would say, Steve, do this, Scott, do this, Mark, do this, Eric did nothing, okay? So there was nothing for that kid. He's spoiled rotten. But the three of us older ones all had responsibilities, and there was a statement that he would write periodically, and that statement said this, have this done by the time I get home. So dad had gone to work, and he'd, like mine might be, Mark, cut the front part of the lawn. Our yard was broken into three pieces. There was one part grass never grew because that was our field. It was our ball field. There was the backyard where the dogs were, and there was the front yard. So many times I would go and say, Mark, cut the front 
part of the lawn. Or, Scott, take the garbage out to the burning barrel. Or, if you don't know what a burning barrel is, we didn't care about the environment. And it was the 70s, who did? And then Steve would be given an assignment. And it was always stated or implied, have this done before I get home. And with that statement, have this done before I get home, there was the promise of blessing and there was a promise of punishment. You get it, right? The implication was, dad didn't say, Mark, cut the front part of the lawn, do this before I get home or die. It didn't say, do this before I get home or we won't feed you. Or do this before I get home or find a new place to live. But the implication was, if dad set an expectation, it should be met. My mom would not put it on the on the refrigerator, but my mom would say something along the lines of, I want you to bring your dirty clothes down from your bedroom to the laundry room. My mom had this ridiculous expectation that we should turn our own socks inside properly. And I said, why is that such a big deal? She goes, I'm not putting my hand in your nasty socks. And I'm like, and I see Braden do that to Heather now. And I'm like, that was a good rule. So there were expectations when we wouldn't turn our socks the right way. Guess what didn't get washed? There were moments for seasons you could go down to the laundry room at the Christian home and there were 1,000 socks nasty on the floor. So we went sockless because we were lazy and my mom taught us a valuable lesson. When there's an expectation, you meet the expectation or there is an implied blessing and punishment. You're all with me, right? Most of us grew up in that generation. If you're here today and you never had to do chores, wow. Wow, you have a great life. But the rest of us, we learned, we learned responsibility by contributing to the family. That's going to play into what Jesus does here when he's talking about authority because he's going to tell them two stories called parables, and those stories are going to show his authority and why he has an expectation, like with the fig tree, that when God asks us to do something, we should do it. So let me tell you the two parables. Number one, <clears throat> there is a time to do what you ought to be doing. There is a time. My dad would set it by saying, get this done before I get home from work. That was the deadline. And we knew that it had to be finished. Verse 28, Jesus says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went into the first and he said, son, go out and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He said, he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said, and pay attention to this now. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus tells a story. Two sons. One says he will and doesn't. One says he won't and changes his mind and does. Which one ultimately pleased the father? That's a simple question. We all know the answer. The one who actually obeyed. But what's the point of this whole thing? They had asked Jesus by what authority he had. And he said, well, look at John's authority. John called people into righteousness and the tax collectors, the cheaters. And the prostitutes, the immoral. And the broken, outcast people who had been telling God no their entire lives, realizing the opportunity that John gave them, repented of their lives and came back to do what the Father asked them to do. And the religious people, seeing John, became angry that they were requested to change, and they decided to say yes and not do anything. We all get the story, don't we? The point of the story is that there's an expectation of God that when he, our Father, asks us to do something... We should do it. Because even those who have told God no 
in their lives learn very, very quickly. And this is a reality of the gospel truth. When you tell God no, you realize that he was right to start with. Now, some of us haven't realized that yet, and so we're hedging our bets. We still think we know more than God, and we can do better with our lives than God's expectation for our lives. But truthfully, there are many of us who told no no to God when he asked us to do something, and we thought he was getting in our business. He was interfering where he shouldn't. He should just leave us alone. We should have the right to do whatever we want. I should not have to do what's on the refrigerator. Well, if your response toward God is because you're scared of him or he's over-demanding or he expects too much of you, then anything he asks you to do will be turned around with a, I'll say, yeah, but I'm not doing it. Unless you realize how good he's been and how kind and generous he's been. And then you realize, oh my goodness. You see, when the things on the chores weren't so that I would be fed. The chores my parents gave us was to contribute to being a part of the family. It was to respect all that they'd done. I had a very dear friend, Wayne, and I realized Wayne's parents were upwardly mobile. (laughs) They had cash. And Wayne got an allowance. He got $5 a week. And I loved to roller skate with all my friends and go bowling and do the stuff that kids did in the 70s, and I loved to do that. And it was expensive, and I always hated to ask mom and dad for money because we didn't have a whole lot. Dad did the best he could, and we had plenty, but we didn't have an abundance. So every, every $5 dad would give me would be a heartache on something else, but I still asked. And I remember going to dad one time saying, you know, dad, Wayne gets allowance. And he was like, really? Good for him. And I was like, I would like allowance. He goes, how much does Wayne get? I said, $5 a week. My dad went, you think that's reasonable? I said, yeah. He said, okay, we'll give you $5 a week. I was like, where was I at previous? I should have asked when I was two. I'd be rich. So anyway, the next day I woke up and I went down to breakfast and my breakfast was always a vitamin and a bowl of cereal or a bowl of oatmeal. And I still would eat that every day of my life. And I got up to my bowl of oatmeal, and there was a bill next to my bowl of oatmeal on the breakfast table. (laughs) And when I went to pack my lunch, which was normally some Twinkies, an apple, or something like that, there was a bill applied to the refrigerator, listing everything in the refrigerator and what would it cost me to take it to school. And then I came home for dinner, and you know the story. There was a bill for dinner, a la carte. And it was amazing. Do you know what it cost me to live in my parents' home per day? Five (laughs) dollars. Greatest object lesson they ever taught me was that there's nothing free here, son, and we give you all of this because we love you. So when we ask you to do something, please just do it. Don't do it because you're scared of us, and don't do it because we'll be punished. Do it because you love us, and we have already loved you. Church, can I have an amen? That's why God wants us to serve. He wants us to serve him that way. And if you're scared of God, I don't want to go to hell. You've missed the point. He's not threatening to send you to hell. He's already started heaven in you. So serve. It's a simple parable. And it's true. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of God is available to you now. Don't fear the Father. Remember how good he's been to you. You see, to work in the vineyard is the equivalent of being about God's work. He's using a word picture. And then he takes it even further. But here's the good news, and I want you to hold on to this as we go forward because the next piece gets heavy. Jesus has built these two together. They're not two separate stories. They're stories that build together. So he's talking about loving the Father and responding to the Father, and then he's going to talk to us about being accountable. But I want the good news to permeate this moment. An official refusal to follow God does not define you if you repent and begin to serve him. Nor... Does an initial agreement with God mean you've been faithful? 
Are you with me? Saying you will and don't is no better than saying you won't. But saying you won't and realizing that was a mistake is to come and fix it. I remember one particular day, Mark cut the front lawn. I went out. God is my witness. I tried. I could not get the mower started. I pulled that thing. I pulled. I changed the gas. I checked the oil. I called my grandpa. It won't start. Try this. Try this. Try this. It didn't work. It didn't work. Clock was ticking. Dale was coming home from work. And I was like, ah. He comes driving in the driveway in his pickup truck, and he looks at the front lawn. I can tell he's not happy with boy number three. And I was like, ah. And I walked up, and he said, front lawn? I said, Dad, I couldn't get the mower started. He's like, you know, it was one of those things, like when they used to send me to find a screwdriver in his messed up garage, and he'd get furious because he knew where it was, but it wasn't where he told me. And I was like, oh, one of those moments. And I go, and I said, I couldn't get the mower started. And I had, my right arm was the size of Popeye by the end of that day. I had pulled that string so hard. I did everything I could and honestly wanted to get the, I like cutting the grass. My dad walked out there and he gave it a couple of pulls and he grumbled a few things and he started laughing. And I'm like, what? And he goes, oh yeah, Saturday I took out the spark plug and didn't put it back in. I want you to know for some of you, that's the kind of father I think God is. Not that he left the spark plug out. But he doesn't come home going, you disappoint me. He helps us figure out how we can do what he's asked us to do. However, point number two, there will be a time when all will be assessed for accountability. All of us will one day answer to God of whether or not we did the simple things he asked us to do. Not because accountability is not because we're scared of him. Accountability is because we love him. Let's read verse 33 and following. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants, now I want you to pay attention to details here, to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed one, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. It's the son's field too. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Pay attention to 40 and 41, please. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? It's a question. And what's interesting is the question is answered in verse 41, not by Jesus. It's answered by the people. He will bring those wretcheds to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crops at the harvest time. God has invited you and I into the work. In this metaphor, it's the work of a vineyard. He's inviting us to come into the vineyard and help him produce fruit. He will produce the fruit because it's his land and it's his plants and it's his produce. And all he's asking is that we share in the work and share in the fruit. There's this, it's not you come work for me and get nothing and I drive you into the ground. It's like, no, he wants his share. And Jesus has presented this picture. And what will come to those who work in his fields and don't share with him what's been produced? They will be tossed out and replaced. Jesus is casting a vision of accountability. You see, there is responsibility in every one of our lives. And we fear this because we're taught, I can't do enough. I won't get enough done. And ultimately, God's going to come home. And I did cut the lawn, but it doesn't look right. Or I didn't do it right. And he's always picking. And he's always nailing me for what I'm not doing. No, he doesn't. 
Think about the fact that the goodness of God has allowed you and I to live past our rebellion. We have all in our own way told God, I know better than you, and I'm going to do it my way, and you're just going to have to accept it. And rightfully so, he should have eliminated every one of us for our defiance. But he hasn't, has he? He's given us life and hope and breath, and he's given us opportunity. And Jesus is painting a picture of a God, not, of a God who's not overbearing, but a God who simply says, share with me. And I will share with you and we'll work together and we'll build this vineyard together and everybody will prosper. That sounds like a good father, doesn't it? But like so many of the other parables, this is about response. Privilege always brings responsibility. It always does. So what's the meaning of the parable? It's a judgment parable. So I have to ask myself the question, was the service I offered to my parents an act of deserving to be cared for? Or should I have served my parents because they already cared for me? Now, my, my father was brilliant when he gave us chores because he never had us working together. And I realized why, because we fought all the time. We'd get halfway through the project and one of us would make the other mad and I would end up crying, going to my room and locking myself in and the work didn't get done and my brothers got in trouble and it was this. It was always fighting. So several years ago, my dad, in a very nervous way, made me laugh. It was very cute, to be honest. My father had to call his boys together and say he needed to paint the house and could we help come and spend some time one summer painting the house. He was nervous to ask his boys, would we help him? I think he's because he was such a slave master as a you know, children. He was a favorite, like, nope, sorry, old man. But anyway, he called at my mom's bidding. He called all of us and said, and my father, I get it from my dad. I would rather take a beating with a stick than paint. It's the worst. You can't overcharge me to paint if you're a painter in this place. I'll tell you right now. If you'll do it and I don't have to, I'll sell my children. Honestly, it's that, it's that important. And I got that from my dad. My dad hates to paint too. My, my dad was always, you guys cut around everything and I'll just come in and slop the big parts. It's good to be the king. So when we went back to paint the house, my dad sat in the lawn chair because we told him to and he watched his four boys paint. The funny part was we didn't get one side painted till there was a fight. It was awesome. None of us grew up. It was great. But for my dad to wonder, could he ask his sons to come help him paint his house? It made my heart sad. It's like, yeah, dad. We love you. We'll be happy. I hate painting. I'd paint for you. Very few people in the world I'd paint for. Those two people in South Bend, Indiana? Absolutely. And I'm not a good person. If I would do that, we all would do that. If you love someone, you serve without a second thought because that's a way to say thank you and bless you for blessing me, right? So Jesus has said all he wants to do is share. Verse 41, he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? That's a huge statement. Now, I try to hide it, but it's like every other human in the world, I have an ego. And I can get my feelings hurt and I can get angry at silly things that don't make sense, except when I measure them, I feel like someone's questioning my abilities. And as a, as a pastor for 30-some years, let me tell you that people in the church don't mean any harm, but often they come up and go, have you guys ever thought about this? It's like, it's all I think about. And it's a great idea, and we've thought about it, and here's the reason why, but it just, it, it offends my ego. I can't imagine being in the room if I'm a religious teacher, and Jesus says, have you ever read the Old Testament? Because that's what he just did. He said, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, notice again his theme, and will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. He has 
an expectation that we will get our work done before he comes back. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. I want to pause here. It's really easy for us to look at verse 45 and go, those stupid people, why weren't they paying attention? No, no, this parable's for us too. And each and every one of us should realize when the people sitting in this little church in the middle of Orinoco, Missouri, heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them too. If we only look down on the audience that day and don't understand that there's an opportunity for us to see that our service is not demanded so that we receive a blessing, our service is expected because he's already been good to us. We will have understood what he's asking. And Jesus uses this powerful image. It comes from Psalm 118. In the 118th Psalm, the, the capstone, the cornerstone on which God was building his kingdom. So, a few years ago, we've taken two trips to Israel, and we have another one coming up in 2020. Or, yeah, 2020, you'll hear about it in May if you're interested in going over there to see the Holy Land, to see the city of Jerusalem and some, some of the sites where Jesus walked. Or They take you to the temple, and they show you the cornerstone of the temple that still stands. It's an amazing piece. Michael DeFazio was on the trip, and Michael's this long, thin, where's Waldo-looking guy, and he stands there, and he's got arms that are about 19 feet long. And so we said to Michael, dude, go down to the corner. And so I stood up on a peak, and Michael walked down there, and he stood on the corner, and he wrapped his arms around the corner. Now, Michael's probably, what, 6'3 or so? He's a good, tall guy, and he was dwarfed against that stone. That stone was possibly 10 nine, ten feet tall, and probably 20 feet long on each piece. It was one stone. It wasn't, it wasn't manufactured. It was cut. That one stone was found and excised out of the ground and placed as the cornerstone. And Jesus is using the imagery from the 118th Psalm. I want you to also remember on Sunday when he went into the holy city and they cried out, Hosanna, what they were crying, they were quoting the 118th Psalm. It's a powerful passage where the Messiah is identified. It would have been something that they had celebrated and they applauded. And Jesus said, have you never seen that when you yelled Hosanna as I came into the city, that also in that same psalm, it said that God would build everything he's doing on one person and I'm that person. You see, what I learned when I was in Jerusalem, according to our tour guide, was that every stone for the rest of the building had to fit the cornerstone. The cornerstone doesn't change to fit odd-shaped stones. Every stone was being shaped by the cutter to fit the capstone, the cornerstone. Do you get what Jesus is teaching us? We don't change Jesus to fit our lifestyles. We change our service to fit him. We reshape our lives to be in his image, to find our completeness in Jesus, rather than asking God to accommodate the world to our particular bent. And it's not hard to do because when you're welcomed in by the loving father and you're not threatened by him and you're not worried about his love, then all of a sudden the things he asks you to do are really, really simple. See, people want the blessings of the kingdom without the repentance needed to fit in. And and Jesus said to the critics that day, the prostitutes get it and they've changed. And the tax collectors, the cheaters... The manipulators, the extortionists, they've changed because they've realized what a beautiful opportunity Jesus was giving them. Jesus didn't come down and say, stop, 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 stop. Jesus said, try this. Live in the effective will of God and find the kingdom. So what do we learn about God? We learn about his grace. 
Okay, I know this is a quiet church. I just need to give me one of those, you know, good old-fashioned revival hums, you know, like, hmm. Okay, can you do that at least? All right, tell me if you know this about God. He's patient. He blesses us. He shouldn't, but he does. He loves us when we ignored him. He cares about us when we didn't care about him. He's invited us into something bigger than anything we ever could have imagined, and he's given us all the ability to accomplish it. He's patient. He loved us enough to send his son, knowing what we would do to him, so he could demonstrate real love. He will judge us one day. That doesn't get a hmm, does it? But he will judge us for trusting him rather than rejecting him. And that is good news. The judgment of God's not always a threat. Sometimes it's a pleasure. What do we learn about Jesus? He was the son whose fields we worked in and we tried to keep it all for ourselves. And he came to show us that he wanted to join us in the work, not kick us out. He's the stone on which God would build his kingdom. Paul uses the imagery in Ephesians that Jesus was the cornerstone and the apostles and the prophets built off the cornerstone and you and I are living stones being shaped by God to fit into this thing called the church that is changing the history of all of us. We can learn about ourselves that we learn we have great privilege offered to us by God. We have the revelation of what Jesus did in the scriptures that we can study every day so we can understand what God is doing. We can know the effective will of God. It's not hard. Jesus said, the the burden I put on you is not too great. I give you all the strength. I'm going to pull the weight. You just hook up with me and let's go produce some fruit. Let's go build a kingdom. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit to bring about a conviction that we told God no and now we need to say yes. We have the Holy Spirit to give us the power to say yes. And we have the Holy Spirit that will produce a fruit in us that we give back to God as his rightful deserved offering of praise. The vineyard is the place where God has put us, where we can respond, see, hear, and know him. You see, the truth is we can accept accountability or we can ignore it, but we cannot eliminate it. God deserves our effort. God deserves our obedience. God deserves our work. To work in God's vineyard is the equivalent of being engaged with God's purposes. So I ask you this morning, have you told God no but need to say yes? It's called repentance. And have you told God yes, but there's no fruit in your life that indicates at all that he is a priority and that his work matters to you, then the word is repentance. It's not a shame thing. It's like your father calling you saying, could you give me a hand? Could you help me here? Will your answer be, yes, I would love to? Or will your answer be, yes, I would love to, but I'm not going to? You see, Jesus deserves, answer me, church. Does he deserve our obedience out of love? Yeah. And does he have a right to expect it? If we love, we serve. And we serve because we love. So here's what I want you to think about. I want you to understand accountability is not a threat when you know the heart of the one you're accountable to. Don't let that be taken from you. He's a loving father who wants the best for you. He doesn't want to abuse you and wear you in the ground. He wants to teach you what real life is. I want your hearts to remember this. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What an honor we have to serve our God. And I'm going to challenge you. Can you enter into a life that says yes and then responds? A life that says yes and loves and serves and gives. 
can you commit to a community of faith? You see, we're going to pray a prayer of contrition in a moment, but I want to tell you around the room are four tables with lamps lit on those. And those lamps are lit. Our elders and staff will be there to meet with you. Maybe there's some of you today who has seen what's taking place in the baptistry this morning. And that beautiful couple surrendering. I love her tear-filled confession. She just knows in her heart she wants to love God and she'll do anything he asks. That's what he's calling us to do. You have the ability to do this. Will you? He's asking you, would you join me in my work? Will you become a disciple of Jesus? Will you say yes and follow through? Because if you want to do that, we would love to pray with you and help you and share with you what that is. You just go to these tables in the next few moments as we sing or after the service. We'll be happy to meet you and have any discussion you want to have. We're here together calling people to respond. What I'd like us to do this morning is we're going to pray a prayer of contrition. So I'm going to ask you to stand wherever you are. And on the screen are going to appear some words. It's a prayer of contrition. It means a a prayer of admitting and a prayer of sorrow. A, A prayer of saying to our Father in heaven, there have been moments in our life that I have not done what you've asked. And you've said, please get this done before I get home. And I haven't. And I'd like a chance to get that done. So you may just listen to this prayer this morning, but I would encourage you, if you'd like, to join me in the reading of it, paying close attention to the words. I know it's awkward to read in a big crowd. We're family. We'll be okay. But if you just want to meditate, ponder on it, you can do that as well. Let's begin. God, you are the owner of all, and we are blessed to be given a means to honor you with our lives. We have heard your request to enter the vineyard and serve the good work that benefits all the world. We have announced our service, and then we have forsaken that oath. We have come aware of this willfulness, and with sorrow, ask for your mercy and forgiveness. We were wrong, and we are weak. We desire to serve you out of love, not duty. To ask with changed hearts and minds that you receive our work in the vineyard from our love for your kindness and your holiness. You deserve our worship, our dedication, and our loyalty. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us through your holy scriptures. Remind us of your love through Jesus. And allow us the position of useful servants to your glory and honor for the rest of our days. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.